Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. The Monday after the Super Bowl, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along, Richard Cross. Michael Borky's got the day off. Will East is in for him. Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey as well. Thanks for being with us. The C Spire text line is open. 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. We'll get to winners and losers coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Certainly want to hear from you on what you like from the weekend, what you didn't like from the weekend. The opening poll question is out there today, and I'm not trying to be divisive. This is not like a gotcha moment with the poll question. Just really simple. Did the Chiefs win the Super Bowl last night, or did the 49ers lose the Super Bowl last night? And yes, because there's always one person out there. Somebody's already sent me a message that said technically both are true. You get what I'm asking, though. Did uh, did the Chiefs just do what they had to do to win it because they're a great offense with maybe the best player on the planet uh, at the quarterback position, or did the 49ers choke away this game? Glad to have you along this afternoon. Will, you, you know where all the buttons are in there, right? I'm vaguely familiar with them, yes. How are you, man? How was your weekend? Uh, it was pretty awesome. I got to you know hear uh, the, the words Houston, Mississippi on the Super Bowl, which is something I never thought I would hear. Boy, Chris Jones was really, really good last night for the Chiefs. If you just look at his stat line, you're not blown away. But if you go back and you take a little bit closer look, really impressive last night. What's up, hey, Dad? What a gorgeous day. Why can't today be opening day? 70 degrees and sunny. Let's play some baseball today. I've been trying to tell you. I mean, 70 and sunny, that's what opening day is. They should should have moved up the calendar a little bit. Yeah, have you looked at the long-range forecast? I have. You were talking about it last week, though. You said it's going to be cold, right? It is slightly less good for opening day than uh, than it is today. I mean, today, oh, goodness, it would be perfect. I actually got out and did a little bit of yard work early this morning. That's crazy. It's the first Monday of February. Yeah, no, I was talking I, I talked to a guy. He said, what, what do you mean you're mowing your grass? I was like, well, not like technically mowing the grass, but there were some leaves that needed to be chopped up and kind of getting that thatch off the uh, top of it, kind of get it ready to go. Uh, but more than anything, just wanted to be outside a little bit. All right, opening thoughts. What did you think about Super Bowl 54 last night? Hey, Dad, I'll let you start. Uh, I thought it sort of played out to the way I thought it would go. I thought the Chiefs would win. Um, you know, for the 49ers did play a little bit better than I thought they would, uh, but Kansas City was able to adjust and react. And at the end of the day, you know, I like to pick games based on quarterbacks a lot of times and who has the better quarterback, and that's clearly Patrick Mahomes. He found a way to make his to get the, the throws that he needed to make to win, and uh, I thought the Chiefs were the better team, and, and they won. There you go. Uh, so in terms of the poll question, Chiefs win it, 49ers lose it. 
I, I'm going to say the Chiefs won it because you do have to, to to they you do have to do the things that they did. But at the same time, Mike Shanahan. I'm sorry, uh, Kyle Shanahan. I mean, who trusts this guy in the fourth quarter anymore of a Super Bowl? Well, My but prior to last rough. night, who trusted Andy Reid? I, mean, I guess, but geez, Louise, this is two now, and and it's it's the same sort of thing. If you just run the football, you win these games. Always run, never pass. Not coming to Mississippi State this fall, but in the Super Bowl, it needs to work out that way. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you that the Chiefs won the game. I'm, I don't. To me, this felt so much different than the blown lead. Oh yeah, yeah, with the Falcons. Yeah, because that's twenty-eight to three. That's that's a choke job. There's no other way around it. This is a, a ten-point lead in the NFL is not that big a deal. Yeah, especially. When you look at what Patrick Holmes and the Chiefs have accomplished, right. Rippy, what did you think? What what's your uh, your your kind of biggest takeaway from the Super Bowl last night? I mean, it was kind of both. Like you had the best, you had the team with the best running game, uh, really left in the probably in the NFL conventional style. That would be, I guess, the Ravens are a bit of an outlier, and with a couple chances to salt the game away, and they weren't ever weren't able to do it. That was more shocking to me than anything. Play calling was a little bit suspect. And then, really, I didn't really expect Jimmy Garoppolo to go down and like t- retake the lead after Kansas City did. But when you talk about it unraveling fast, I mean, it was, what, 20-10 to 10 with six-ish minutes to go in the game, and it, it turned in a hurry. Yeah, three touchdowns in the final six and a half minutes of the game for the uh, for the Chiefs, and they end up winning at 31-20. Obviously, the last uh, touchdown was what? I mean, you know, that was just kind of a the one where they run away with it at the end. Uh, the game looked like it was in hand at the, that point, like the Chiefs were going to be able to run out the clock. What about the pass? You, you said you didn't expect Jimmy Garoppolo to drive them down, but they got everything they wanted. Got a receiver behind the defense, and he just overshot him on a pass that could have put the Niners back in front, right? Yeah, with about a minute and a half left. And I mean if you put a slightly more little bit more air in dirt, you never know what could happen and it could could be talking about a potentially different thing today. But that would have made it like I guess like an A plus level game is if they hit that pass and then you give Mahomes ninety seconds to go back down the field and try to tie or win it. That would have been kind of the desired outcome or at least desired ending. But just I didn't really understand. Like they, I think the Niners ended the game averaging seven yards a carry, and the way they handled the, like it felt very much like they were playing not to lose. The end of the first half thing was baffling to me. Yeah, but to eat management. all three timeouts, even though when you have a chance to double them up, it's like I get your content going tied ten ten, but like Patrick Mahomes is on the other side. But you know, for thirty, what I guess sixty minute game at thirty six. I mean, really, over 40 minutes of this game, they kind of executed exactly what they want to do. Mahomes is on the sideline a lot, and then, you know, I guess when push came to shove, it, it really just got away from them really quickly. I thought that the shot that Fox had of John Lynch in the the suite that was for the 49ers brass, where he's signaling, timeout, take the timeout, take the timeout, which is what everybody else was saying and the Niners didn't do it was pretty telling. Because, you know, sometimes we get the whole, well, football people are smarter and they maybe are... He was thinking the exact same thing that everybody was watching was thinking it. Yeah, and and I think there was another clip of him later in the game saying, run the ball, run the ball. So, and of course, John Lynch is a, you know all-pro football player, so it's not like we're just talking about some guy who, you know, his dad's fortune got him a football team. This is a guy, you know, who knows what he's talking about in terms of being a, a GM. 
So, yeah, for him to make those kind of uh, you know statements and for us all to see him, yeah, he was thinking what we were all thinking. I, Ribby made the point, like, you're going to get the ball at the start of the second half, too. How do you not go for points there, at least try to get a field goal on the board? Because a field goal there changes the entire complexion of the game. Then you're driving for a field goal at the end, and maybe you can do things a little differently. Raheem Mostert, who was so good in the NFC Championship game, had 12 carries for 58 yards and a touchdown last night. Damian Williams, really good for Kansas City. And he iced it at the end with the 38-yard touchdown run. 17 carries for 104 yards. He had a touchdown. Uh, Patrick Mahomes had a touchdown on the ground. The crazy thing, for three quarters, and and certainly you've seen this storyline, Patrick Mahomes was pretty pedestrian. At the end of three quarters, and then you look up and he makes all the plays that he needs to make in the fourth quarter. He had the big third down conversion throw. He makes the uh, the beautiful throw on the outside after he's able to get outside the pocket. Finishes 26 of 42, 286 yards, two touchdowns, had the two interceptions earlier in the game. You kind of look past what the actual numbers are, though, I think, because of what he did at the end of the game. And isn't that ultimately what legends uh, how legends are born you know what what you do in the fourth quarter or trailing in a super bowl yeah i mean i have no idea what joe montana's stats were prior to that drive he took the 49ers on against the Bengals. i just know that he made the plays and won the game yeah that's a good point that's a good point will did you have a, a big overall takeaway or just a fun game well, I, th- I think it kind of changed when, number one, Patrick Mahomes started uh, running the ball a little bit more. Uh, just seems like you know things started really picking up for them after that. And the Chiefs, for some reason, and I haven't wa- I've watched a handful of their games this year, but they're just a different team when they're behind. They have that you know that mentality that you know they're almost want to be behind because it just puts them in the the mode they need to be in. It was funny, you, you heard so many guys talking going into the game about this was the one where the Chiefs couldn't afford to fall behind. And they didn't really. I mean, they thought fall behind 3 to nothing. they go up 7-3, to three, then it's 10-3, to three, then it's 10-10 ten to ten at the half, and then they fall behind in the third quarter with the 10 unanswered points in the third by the 49ers. So they're staring up at the 20-10 to 10 deficit, and you're facing the best pass defense, but... I, you know, Rippy, you can tell me. Maybe you know better than I am. At, at times, has the pass defense been a little smoke and mirrors because of the limitations at this point for Richard Sherman and what he's able to do in one-on-one coverage? Well, he doesn't really follow guys. Yeah, he he sits back in zone a lot. But to, to I guess to the larger point, they're really like where it actually felt like the Chiefs, even with Mahomes, probably weren't going to come back is when you throw a pick with 12 minutes to go in the game and you're down 10 against a team that this is kind of what they do. They salt games away. They run the ball. They have six, seven, eight-minute drives to preserve games, and that just didn't happen at all. That was the most shocking part of the whole thing to me. I thought it was over when Mahomes threw that terrible interception. We watched the game, you watched the game, a whole bunch of people watched the game, and in Kansas City, Missouri, but probably Kansas City, Kansas as well, at the end of the game, almost (laughs) every television in the market, almost every single one was on the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. We'll give you the ratings numbers, talk about who should have been the MVP when we come back. Mississippi, your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. Let me put it to you this way. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi.
to a release from Fox, Super Bowl 54 lived up to the hype when Kansas City beat San Francisco in a game that came down to the final minutes. And that may be the biggest key. Is it close late? According to Fox, the game was the 10th most watched Super Bowl in the history of the game. 102 million viewers tuned into Fox, Fox Deportes, and Fox NFL and Verizon Digital Properties to watch the game. So 10th biggest viewing audience ever, and it was 1.3 million more in terms of total audience than watched last year's game when the Patriots and Tom Brady beat the Los Angeles Rams in Super Bowl 53. And then at a more local level, not local to us, but local to the um, uh, the markets, Fox's broadcast of Super Bowl 54 did a 41.6 rating overall and a 69 share, which means 69% of the households or the televisions that were turned on during the game were on the Super Bowl. In Kansas City, they did a 55.7 rating and an 89% share, and that peaked in the fourth quarter of the game. The fi- I'm sorry, the final quarter hour. So the last 15 minutes of the game was on at 62.6% or 62.6 in terms of rating, and 97% of the households watching the end of the game. That is insane to say. 97 out of 100 televisions in Kansas City had the game on. Who are those three people? What are they doing? Yeah, they were watching at food their next door neighbor's house watching special the game. On. Yeah. <laughs> what were you saying, hey, Dad? A, they were on Food Network. They had a barbecue special on. They just can't resist it up there in Kansas City. Um, as is going to be the case. There is some debate about the halftime show last night, Shakira and J-Lo. Um, we're all males, and we're all somewhere between the ages of 25 and 45. What was your reaction to the halftime show? Will? Loved it. <laughs> awesome. <Yeah>. Amazing. <laughs> hey, Dad. I mean... Aside from the fact that those are two hot women, uh, I mean, I, there's not my kind of music, obviously, but J Lo's they're fifty. On, I know, and they're putting on a show, man. They're they're up there, they're 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 putting out great entertainment for the people who enjoy those particular that particular kind of music. They're dancing. They're, they're I mean, I got no problems with it, man. I, th- I, I thought it was great. Rippy, how do you grade the halftime show? I thought it was fine. I had to be explained like who some of the people were and like how they got famous and stuff like that. But aside from that, I thought it was fine. Yeah, you and my grandfather also had to be explained. Yeah, that showing cleavage. That showing cleavage bit uh, bet hit. So, it did. Yeah, yeah. it uh, it did. You had to um, wait. You had to wait till later in the in the in the show, but it, it got you there. Who was the rapper guy that kind of popped up a couple of times? It wasn't Pitbull. That, that was a huge disappointment. But I don't know who that was. Yeah, I mean, you would think South Florida Pitbull's the route they would have gone. They didn't. How do you not get him? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, well. D- no, no, on a serious note, Rippy, do you know who the guy was that was kind of like in all silver? Like popped up and he's rapping on stage a little bit? It's like, come on, you got Shakira and J-Lo. Who is this guy? No, I actually not, don't. But it's not I, like CeeLo Green popped up. I had the same reaction. I just started, like, I was cooking food, and then I obnoxiously started yelling, Mr. 305, and then I was quickly told that was not who that was. But you never got an answer as to who it was. Rip, Will, do you know? I have no, no clue. Shirley, we have a device, right, that can tell us? 
How do you how do you Google that? Who who else was on Super Bowl stage? halftime rapper? Who was the <laughs> random answer? rapper guy? That was that was 2019. Who is the guy? Here we go. His name is Jay Balvin. Yeah. He's Colombian. That really Medellin. added a lot to uh, the halftime show. Yeah. He was on the Medellin soundtrack with Vincent Chase. Who could forget that? I, I did write in our rundown. People are debating halftime as they always do. It certainly wasn't Prince. Nothing is Prince, though. Only Ever. Prince is Prince. Didn't yeah. the Who have a pretty good one? Yeah, the they Who did. had a good one, yeah. Well, did what? You have to be pretty bad to tank it, right? Like who? What, uh, they had some bad Backstreet Boys, weren't they? Pretty bad. I don't remember. What's What's interesting is you know they had. I'll trust you on that. They had Justin. They had Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson, and so they have they have the war, wardrobe malfunction. So they were like, "All right, we're going to go rock music. Can't have any problems there." And for about five years, they did that. Now it seems like they're putting their toe back in the pool of perhaps we can have a little bit more uh, controversy and a little bit more uh, risque behavior. I would not have been opposed to a Gloria Estefan appearance. I mean, if you had somehow worked Ooh, yeah, the Miami, Miami Sound, Sound Machine. Machine. I mean, I think she's I'm retired, in. but if if we had she, somehow she'll gotten show up for Congo, a payday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Let's just go through the, the recent years of halftime shows. Uh, I mean, obviously, last night is, uh, is high on the mind. So last year, you had Maroon 5. And Big Boy. Sure. Uh, Justin Timberlake was two years ago. Yeah. Lady Gaga in Houston was really good. Really good. And I'm not, a, again, not a Lady Gaga fan, but I was like, man, this woman is performing her you-know-what-off to do this show. I, I tell you what, if you rewind to the uh, the 2016 in Super Bowl, so Super Bowl 50, Coldplay, Beyonce, Bruno Mars, and Mark Ronson, that was a pretty good halftime show that year. All in one? Yes. It started with Coldplay. That's and a then, 50, though, right? So they're, they're like really going for it there. Yeah, they went big on that. That's pretty star-studded. Uh, Katy Perry in Phoenix for Super Bowl Forty Nine. That was the left shark game. Uh, Bruno Mars and Red Hot Chili Peppers. That was at halftime of Super Bowl Forty Eight. That's the one that was in New York. Beyonce, Destiny's Child. That wasn't bad. Madonna was really good at uh, the one in Indianapolis. Eh, anyway, not going back through all of them, but th- there were. Uh, what, what about you know, Up with People? That was fantastic. Fair enough. There were a couple of times during the halftime show where Jane cringed a little bit because Ava Montgomery was sitting right next to her. It's like, mm, that's that's a little aggressive. All in all, I didn't think it was terrible. Which part? Very aggressive. Um, the let's call it a rump thrust. <laughs> that's going on a promo right there. <laughs> That would be the part that uh, I think was a little questionable for my wife with our daughter. <laughs> I'm not going to be stopped laughing the rest of the segment. That works for you, hey, Dad? Was that descriptive Rump enough? Thrust, that man said. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, goodness gracious. Ava Montgomery, I mean, she, she pops up at one time. She goes, I think they're dressed a little inappropriately. 
I'm glad to hear my nine year old daughter say that. Tell the Palmer home I'll wear one of the whatever those male dancers are wearing. I'll wear one if we can get some money in for the Palmer home. The question though is, would you wear what J Lo was wearing for money? Sure. For you know, we the, we raise enough money. I'll get a, I'll I'll dance on the pole for if we get some money for the Palmer home. Okay. Whoa. It'll have to be a lot of money. It should and be the other way around. It should be like, if you don't, it, it should be like if you don't pay this money, I'm gonna do it. The only way to keep you keep us from showing you that video is to donate. Did Patrick Mahomes deserve to be the game's MVP last night? I didn't think so. I thought Who that uh, Williams should have been Williams, the the running back, Damian Williams. The two pick. I mean that that one pick was just awful. I don't know what he was seeing there. And uh, I mean, he played well at the end, but I thought I thought Williams was better. I agree, but it's going to go to the quarterback, so I guess I understood right. it. But I thought Williams was a lot better too. Mahomes was bad for three quarters, basically. Yeah. Well, that goes back to what we were talking about a second ago, though. It doesn't matter if you're bad for three quarters if you deliver in the fourth quarter on that stage. That's really all anybody's going to remember. I saw this. Um, this tweet earlier, Robert Mays, who writes podcasts, whatever, at The Ringer, he tweeted this. Going back through and rewatching some stuff, I think Chris Jones had a real MVP case. He created the first pick, his deflections were huge, and he had multiple key pressures. In a game where he had one tackle, no sacks, and no QB hits, he was Kansas City's best player. That's amazing. He was like really, said earlier, really, really the, good. The, the stat line does nothing for you. But if you do more than just look at the box score and you really dig in, he had a huge impact on the outcome of the game. And Will got the mention of Houston, Mississippi, that he never thought he would actually get in the Super Bowl. Commercials, did they do anything for you? There were a couple that kind of stood out, a couple that were not memorable at all. Winners and losers coming up to start the 4 o'clock hour. John Harris will join us a little bit later. We'll get his thoughts on the Super Bowl and maybe a little historical perspective from Bruce Marshall later this afternoon. Those coming up on the Farm Bureau phone line. Take a quick time out. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Mississippi sports sports on your radio and in the game super talk Mississippi Talk Mississippi with you. We'll get to some stuff in the state of Mississippi coming up in just a little while as Mississippi State got a win, an impressive win at home against Tennessee on Saturday. They beat the Vols 86-73. to Quick quick thought here, hey, Dad. Not, yeah. not so much about the game, but I'm curious about Ben Howland. As I have yeah. watched his post-game interviews over the last two or three games, I have thought... And it's something that I've really not thought in the entire time that he's been in Starkville. He looks genuinely happy right now. And I don't know if it's just a result of the way his team's playing, if it's the excitement from a win, but 
to to me, his demeanor looks different. Does he sound different to you guys in his media availabilities? Away from the game, you know, when you're talking about like we have with him today, available at uh, Sports Talk Mississippi's Twitter feed, uh, he's just very chill, very chill guy in and of itself. But after the game, I see what you're saying. He does his 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 demeanor and body language has been really good, and I think it's a combination of his team is playing really well, and there there has to be some satisfaction of. And not that they've won any championships or anything, but there there has to be a little bit of I did it. This program was the worst in the SEC when I got here, and I've got them playing great right now, and I've got a, a, what appears to be a pretty decent foundation built for future success. So I, I would imagine he is in a pretty good mood, and his team is playing great basketball right now. Yeah, they uh, they really are. Good win on Saturday. Another really good performance for Reggie Perry. And in the most recent bracketology from Joe Lenardi, Mississippi State is in. They are now they are now the first of the last four in. So they've gone from uh, the the first of the the first four out to the number one on the list of the last four in, and certainly going to have some opportunities to uh, continue to improve their position in uh, in the projections for the postseason. Ole Miss lost at LSU. They scored only 20 in the first half. They were down 20 at the break, opened the second half on a 12-0 run. I guess they scored 14 consecutive points, kind of going first half into the second half, uh, but ultimately uh, lost the game by 10 and uh, fell to 1-7 and in the SEC. So we'll get to those in a little more detail coming up in uh, in a little while. We're just going to make this first hour, though, primarily about the Super Bowl. And I don't know if the whole phenomenon around Super Bowl commercials has kind of run its course or not. Certainly the price tag has not run its course. $5.6 million for a 30-second spot to put your company on Front Street during the Super Bowl last night. I thought the best commercial, and I've kind of gone back and watched them because I didn't get to watch all of them during the game, the Bill Murray Jeep Groundhog Day commercial was my favorite. That's I just one. thought it, I just thought it was really funny, and it was a little bit different, and Bill Murray makes me laugh, and him driving around in a Jeep with a groundhog, um, I, I thought that one hit home and, and was pretty cool. Like what was it. your favorite? Favorite Super Bowl commercial? You know, I don't know a lot about the company Rocket Mortgage, but uh, yeah. the the thing with Jason Momoa, who is you know I a a man that I know women women openly lust for, <laughs> to make him into a uh, like a pencil neck geek, redneck looking guy, I thought it was fantastic. You liked that? I thought it was funny. Yeah. Okay. Rippy, do you have a favorite Super Bowl commercial? The one with uh, Rain Wilson from The Office. That was good. Little Caesars Delivery, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I thought it was He was the CEO good. of Sliced Bread. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed that one. What about you, Will? I thought the uh, Smart Pack one with uh, the that Hyundai Sonata. That was pretty Sonata, good. That know. was good. Made me think of The Departed, you know? <laughs> Bury him in the mosh. <laughs> That was uh, that was good, and then you got Big Poppy hanging out of the window uh, up yeah. a, a level above at the end. He's like, "Hey, wicked smart." Um, let's see a couple of the ones that that kind of stood out last night. Um, Google went with the pull at your heartstrings, <laughs> the remembering Loretta commercial. I don't want to feel things during the Super Bowl. 
You just want to laugh? I just want to laugh and watch the game. What are they trying to do? Uh, we went to a uh, – it was a Super Bowl party, but it was one that was basically geared toward people with kids that were my kids' age. Yeah. And so there were a lot of kids running around, and it kind of made it hard at times to watch. But I did hear somebody say, yeah, but first you've got to give Google all of that information. Do you really yes. want Google to have all of that to be able to remind you of all of that? That's what that was. That was Google's subtle way of saying, it's okay to give us all your information. Big Brother is watching. They're watching, they're listening, and they're telling you what you... And then one day, you know, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, I remember this, and you're not going to really remember it, but I must have set it into the Google, so putting on my tinfoil hat over here. It's like the 2020 remake of uh, the 1984 commercial from Apple. Yeah, yeah, that's a good call. Um... The Jimmy Kimmel Michelob Ultra commercial, that do anything for you where he's working out with John Cena? It's all right. It was, it yeah, was, it was okay. kind of it's kind of whatever. It was just there's okay. star power in that one though. Yeah, oh yeah, there, there's no doubt. He stops and uh and flexes with Usain Bolt. Yeah. Um Microsoft's Let's commercial got a little bit of traction with Katie Sowers, who is the offensive assistant coach on the 49ers, and they kind of showed her using you know, as you would expect, the what Microsoft Surface Pro or whatever the current model is to, uh, you know, in kind of the coaching thing. I don't know if that did much for me, but uh, certainly was one. Those are the ones that That's I cool. scratched down. So Jeep Groundhog Day, Google Loretta, Hyundai Pacta, Jimmy Kimmel's commercial, Microsoft. I get the feeling Yankees fans are going to be making fun of Pacta. Something's coming at Yankee Stadium this uh, this summer. Well, maybe, but Poppy's not playing anymore. Yeah, but I'm just saying, it's just it's just easy to make fun of Boston people, you know? Yeah. Well, it's not like that's new. Yeah, sure. Um, And then a bunch of movie trailer commercials, which do... It's like, hey, get out of the way so that we can get to, um, you know, the next commercial that I'm interested in. I'm interested but, in a couple of the movies, though, so... The, the new James Bond? That looks really good. I'm well, not a big Minions James Bond doing guy. It for you. Well, I, I, the kids might want to go see Minions. They love Gru. Girls. Uh, no, the Black Widow one's the one I'm, I would be the most interested in, though. Yeah, fair enough. And Fast. I'm not a huge Fast and Furious guy, but man, they're just so over the top. And John Cena is the villain. I, I I don't know how I can resist that. That'll be Fast and Furious 39 coming out. Is that right? <laughs> 39 and a half. Jeez. Been, uh, been a bunch of those. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. If you want to be a part of the discussion, you can. I think I said Jimmy Kimmel. I meant Jimmy Fallon. Uh, maybe I'll just go with Jimmy next time. Jimmy, the talk show host, which there's more than one. Uh, somebody says Kia commercial, Josh Jacobs. That was another heart heartstring uh, tugger there. Uh, Adam and Baldwin. Liked the uh, the Doritos um, spoof with the Old Town Road. Yeah. Speaking of that, hold on, hold on. Now we're talking about the real best commercial, the local commercial yes. for Richard Schwartz. Yes. My God. <laughs> what a work of art. I'm hang it in a museum. Hey, I I I gave him a uh, a you know a high five. He didn't actually high five me, but I actually high fived him. He was on air this morning, and I was like, yes! Unbelievable. 
Okay, what was this local? I guess we get Memphis commercials as opposed to oh, Jackson or Tupelo okay. commercials. Fear not, it's on Twitter. I'll, I'll get it to you. Uh, he, okay. It was a, a riff on Old Town Road. Oh, nice! It's it's incredible. I'm 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 finding it for you right now. If but it would have gone was, national, it would have been talked about as one of the better commercials. I think. Yeah. That, that, yes. It would have it would have led it would have led first take this morning. Yeah, there was a there was a Memphis lawyer commercial that was on, but we don't have any relationship with him, so I see no reason to mention that. <laughs> Uh, Sam Elliott's mustache was awesome. His mustache dance, uh, mustache dance. Sam Elliott's pretty good. Uh, somebody, somebody like can't touch this. That was pretty good. Yeah, I love Sam Elliott, but I didn't like that commercial that much. Uh, Mike and Corinth says uh, number one, Sam Elliott Doritos. Number two, McHammer Cheetos. Number three, Bill Murray and the Jeep. MC Hammer, not McHammer. Come on, man. I can't believe I read that. that <laughs> Drop the McHammer on it. That's nowhere in any McDonald's commercials, brother. Promo number two, right there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We need a uh, fact checker at the uh, at the end of the show today. Um, I just miss Budweiser and the Clydesdales. I thought the Anheuser Busch attempt at you know the what makes American great stuff, whatever. Nah, I felt. Forced. No Clydesdales and no Coca-Cola Polar Bears, and me being offended by that probably is ridiculous. I just sent you the Bud- video. You I need Budweiser slash Anheuser Busch, hey Dad, to pull on my heartstrings with a war veteran and a dog, or the Clydesdales saluting troops coming home. I understand it's. You know, gratuitous marketing. That's what I need. Sports Talk Mississippi. We will be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports. Sports Talk Mississippi. You know I love sports. On Super Talk Mississippi. Super Bowl conversation in the first hour. We will get back to some of that as we move throughout the rest of the show this afternoon. But let's switch gears and talk some hoops. Sports Talk Mississippi. Don't forget the ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. And uh, we've been telling you really throughout the month of January and now into uh, February as well that you uh, need to check out the ceasefire Health app. It's uh, free to download. And it gives you the opportunity to avoid the waiting room, the germs, the frustration of going to the doctor's office by speaking with a UMMC clinician directly on your phone that can uh, take care of any non-emergency uh, visits that uh, you've got. Obviously, if you've got an emergency, you go to the emergency room or to go to a doctor. Uh, but if it's just a cold or flu symptoms or aches and pains that are kind of normal, then uh, you can talk to a UMMC clinician if a prescription is needed they can uh, send that directly to uh, the pharmacy of your choice and it's really easy check them out uh, again uh, the c spire health app 
And uh, for more information, you can go to cspirehealth.com. So hoops from the weekend. Hey, Dad, looked like a pretty good crowd at the hump on uh, Saturday, Mississippi State and Tennessee. A, uh, I guess a good weather day, so not a lot of excuses for people not to go to that ball game. And uh, then we're treated to a good performance from Mississippi State. Yeah, first time in a long time, but you got the good crowd that I know you've been asking for or been mentioning many times. Yeah, it was, it was a good crowd there. And, uh, man, you know, I always talk about how the hump used to be and finding those those noise levels that are they're difficult to find sometimes when there's nobody in there. But when DJ DJ Stewart hit those back to back threes, it felt like the hump used to feel. Um, and the team another similar game in the in the first half got off to a slow start. Um, you know, did trail by six at the break, but came out and just completely dominated the second half. Shot sixty nine percent from the field, eighty percent from three and 85% from the line in the second half. I mean, you basically win every game you play. State was 25 of 30 off the free throw line, and, and that's what's really hurting teams right now is not only is Reggie Perry getting buckets, but when they do foul him, it's it's not Hackashack. He's making a lot of free throws. He was 12 of 15 in this game. So you know, it's, it's a good win. I think it's a quadrant two win for the resume. Uh, I know there were a lot of people last week on uh, on the text line that were, were very adamant that State would not beat Tennessee. Uh, so to those people... You were wrong, and yeah, another another win, and uh, now they got a chance for another quadrant one win uh, tomorrow night when they head up to Rupp. Headed to Lexington tomorrow night, thirty-four to twenty-eight. That was the halftime score. Tennessee leading by six, but Mississippi State outscored them by nineteen in the second half, fifty-eight to thirty-nine. Reggie Perry finishes with another double double, twenty-four points and twelve rebounds. Had only one turnover in the game. Abdul Adu gives you what he gives you: six points, six rebounds. I just kind of expect that pretty much every night. Uh, had a couple of assists in the game, made both of his free throws. Uh, Nick Weatherspoon, how about nine assists and two turnovers? That'll work. Four and a half to one. Yeah, to go along with uh, 11 points in the ball game. I think DJ Stewart was probably the story, right? He plays more minutes than anybody else in the game. 38 minutes for DJ Stewart. Six of nine from the field, including four of five from behind the arc and four of four from the free throw line. And if all of a sudden DJ Stewart the freshman guard from Grace, Mississippi, is going to give you that type of a contribution. Uh, things are a little scary when you're facing Mississippi State. Yeah, we, we asked uh, Rick Barnes about that after the game because, I mean, the scouting report could not have included, hey, watch out, DJ Stewart could go for 20 tonight. Um, but he did and, and played really well, was aggressive getting to the hoop, but also hit some three-point shots, which is what, when he was being recruited, they were sort of talking about. It. This guy's a, a really good perimeter shooter and you hadn't really seen much of that this year he's seen some bits and pieces of it but he shot the ball well on Saturday and in a day where Tyson Carter didn't play uh, that great Stewart sort of picked up that slack it was four Bulldogs and double figures you know I don't think you mentioned Robert Woodard there another solid game from him continues yeah to you know just be good every every night out 14 points for Robert Woodard he hit seven of ten shots took only one three-point attempt Tyson Carter missed all of his three-point tries he was uh, eight points in the game four of four from the free throw line two of eight you mentioned the second half numbers but for the game Mississippi State shoots 57 percent 42 percent from behind the arc and they hit 25 of 30 free throws that works all day long you put numbers like that up you're gonna win a bunch of ball games and now you look up Mississippi State seven games above five hundred. They're fourteen and seven. They are five and three in the SEC. In terms of the net rankings, they're kind of climbing there. They've gotten up to thirty eight in the net, and so that's a really respectable spot for them. 
and some opportunities in front of them as well. So, uh, you know, obviously it's a, a big challenge to go to Rupp, which is what Mississippi State's got to do uh, coming up on uh, on Tuesday night. So that's a midweek game, and it's a, a late start, national television audience, the whole deal. But after the Kentucky game, here's what's coming up. Vanderbilt, who is winless in the league. At Ole Miss, who has one win in the league. Arkansas, who's a 500 team. South Carolina is playing really well right now. They got another win on uh, on Saturday. Then a road trip to A and M. I mean, over the next one, two, three, four, five, six games. I mean, f- four and two at minimum, right? Yeah, you would think. You would think. I mean, you look at states. States got ten games left. They're going to be favored in at least seven of those games. Yeah. Outside of you know Kentucky and and at Arkansas, chances to be favored in eight of them. And and you know if they can win, if they go seven and three the rest of the way, and they're twelve and six, I mean that's probably a four or five seed in the NCAA tournament when when it all gets you know when it all shakes out. Yeah, you know seven and three is not out of the realm of possibility. You go six and four over the final ten. That's got you at eleven overall. And 20, or well, 11 in the league and 20 overall. And that's headed into the SEC tournament. The, the This looks like a Mississippi State team that is headed back to the NCAA tournament for the second consecutive year. They look it like just, it right now. It just they does. didn't look like it a few weeks ago. We'll see what the rest of the season brings. Hey, Dad. Uh, so that was Mississippi State. Rippy, uh, on the Ole Miss side of things... Tough one on Saturday, and Ole Miss just dug itself a hole that was too deep to climb out of after trailing by 20 in the first half. They were down 40-20 to at the break. Another quiet day for, a relatively quiet day for Brian Tyree. Nine points on 2 of 10 shooting, 0 of 4 from behind the arc, and that's after he went for 36 against LSU a couple of weeks ago. Devontae Shuler not only had his best career game, he may have had his best week as an Ole Miss Rebel, but it coincided with two losses. Yeah, it did, which is a shame for them because that's kind of the secondary scoring they've been looking for all year, but then it also, like you mentioned, coincides with two really poor games offensively from being Tyree, and the team's just not really devi- I, excuse me, designed to withstand a game like that from Tyree at this point. It was weird. I didn't, like, offensively, Ole Miss I didn't think was terrible in the first half, but, I mean, LSU was 12 of 20 from the field. I think they only took four three-pointers, so most of those looks coming like right at or close to around the rim, really good high-percentage looks. And then Ole Miss played better in the second half. But as you mentioned, even with the 12-0 run to to start out the half or whatever it was, just too much of a hole to climb out of. The bench wasn't very good. But, I mean, pretty good week from Shuler, I guess, if nothing else. But Yeah, 28 points for him. Javante Smart had 21 to lead LSU. Trendon Watford and Marlon Taylor uh, both had 13 in the game. Those were the only three LSU players in double figures. You know, you, if you know going in that Skyler Mays is only going to play uh, 17 minutes, he's going to foul out, and he's going to have four points. If I told you that You'd going okay. into the game, you thought, maybe got a shot. Do what now? I was agreeing with you. I'd say you feel okay, but... Yeah. Uh, did not go well, and almost didn't shoot the ball well. 36% from the field, 27% from behind the arc. Free throws were okay, 15 of 19 at the line. But LSU was 23 of 34 at the line. Uh, so LSU shoots four free throws. Uh, I'm sorry, they they make four more than Ole Miss attempted in the, uh, in the game. Uh, it's an LSU team that attacks the basket. 
And yeah, we, we were kind of looking ahead on the schedule for Mississippi State. If you do the exact same thing uh, with Ole Miss, you know, when you're one and seven in the league, nothing looks easy. They got a South Carolina team at home on Wednesday night, and South Carolina is just tough and rugged and getting better. And then they host Florida. So back-to-back home games. And then they host Mississippi State. So three straight home games. Then it's Kentucky on the road, a road game against Missouri. I mean, they, they got to get another one. <sighs> and what are you trying to accomplish at this point if you're Ole Miss? And, and I, I'm, not being, I'm not being flippant when I ask that. Obviously, you're competing and you're trying to win games, but it's not a team that's competing for the NCAA tournament right now. No, I mean, it's just kind of hanging in there and trying to play well. But outside from that, I mean, as far as like postseason aspirations, I would say most of those are shot. Yeah. I mean, at this point, in terms of the postseason, you're just trying to play yourself out of playing on Wednesday in the SEC tournament. Because right now, Ole Miss would be the 13 seed in the SEC tournament, only ahead of winless Vanderbilt. Sports Talk Mississippi. Let's check in with our buddy John Harris from the Houston Texans. We'll see what his perspective was on Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs winning last night over Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers. That's coming up next on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. We'll be right back. can be a part of Sports Talk Mississippi. 888-808-8637 on Super Talk Mississippi. Off Mississippi with you Monday afternoon, the day after the Super Bowl. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. The original Johnny Football, John Harris. He is at J. Harris Football on Twitter. If you want to follow him along, works with the Houston Texans on the radio, on television, uh, in their office as well. But last night, just a fan like all the rest of us. John, what did you think of the Super Bowl? Boy, I thought it was, uh, well, depending on what time you turn on the pregame show, I guess, but I thought it was a pretty good four and a half, five hours of entertainment. And, hmm. you know, I really didn't have it. Like you said, I was, I was a fan. Well, I don't know fan was the right word. I was sort of, I was sort of disappointed watching a team win the Super Bowl that we had a 24 to nothing lead on in the divisional playoff round. But, uh, it was, I thought the, the entertainment value of the whole thing was good. I thought, you know, halftime show, I know people have talked about, I like some of the commercials. Uh, my wife stayed engaged in the game long enough uh, for us to watch the whole thing together and watch some of the post-game stuff. So uh, I thought it was good. I mean, it wasn't, uh, you know, the only 10 it would have been is if the Houston Texans had been down there and I would have been on the sidelines. But I thought for the most part it was a, a, pretty, a pretty good way to end the 2019 season, the 100th in the NFL. You know, we were talking earlier if – Jimmy Garoppolo had connected on the deep ball, uh, that deep post route over the middle where his receiver had a step on the, on the two DBs. And he's able to catch that. 
then all of a sudden we get the drama that really everybody would love to see unless you're betting on one team or the other. <laughs> like You don't want to have that kind of a wild swing. But the potential to see Pat Mahomes with his team down, I guess it would have been a field goal at that point, or maybe down four with 90 seconds to play, that would have kind of been the ultimate drama, right? Oh, I don't think there's any question. Uh, and, in fact, as I was watching that play happen and I see him throw it deep, I'm, oh, like immediately I'm like, oh, he's got it. But you could tell by the tra- trajectory of the throw, like, oh, he overthrew him. But that, that was what I wanted to see. I mean, look, we when, I, when you think back to the great quarterbacks that have been in this league for a while, you know, Eli Manning, uh, the two drives at the end of his two Super Bowl wins, Ben Roethlisberger, mm-hmm. Uh, in the Super Bowl win in the 08 season against the Cardinals. You know, he brought him back from behind, what, about 90 yards at San Antonio Holmes. You know, Tom Brady, I mean, countless, countless times. And, you know, look, he's only in his second full season as a starter, but we hadn't really seen that from from Patrick uh, that, I, that I could think of. I mean, he's done great things out on the field, but they've been so explosive and so good that they've never had – that I could think of, you know, a fourth quarter comeback that you could say, yeah, that was that was when Patrick Mahomes cemented his status as the player in the NFL. Now he probably is the player in the NFL given what he's done, but I don't think that I can remember seeing him in the fourth quarter do something, you know, bring his team back from behind. I know when we faced him in the regular season, you know, they were down seven, two drives in the fourth quarter. They both went three and out. Um, you know, the AFC championship game. Um, against Tom Brady and the Patriots. Now, obviously, D. Ford was offside, but you know, an opportunity to do something in that game, uh, bring his team behind uh, in the fourth quarter. And I think that was more about the Patriots than it was him. But we just hadn't seen that, so I was looking forward to seeing what he was going to do with you know a little over two minutes left. And the thing was, is by that point of the game, it felt like he had sort of gotten back on track. The third quarter, it looked like a different quarterback. I was like, who's that guy? I mean, he looked. He looked nothing like the quarterback that we saw in the playoff in the playoff game. And I said to my wife at some point, I was like, why didn't that Patrick Mahomes show up to Kansas City a few weeks ago? Because we would have been in Miami uh, had that been the case. But uh, we didn't get it. And, you know, one day we will get it. But I think what will happen for Patrick is because he's got this ring now, you know, he'll feel maybe less pressure. You know, he'll be uh, less encumbered. You know, some quarterbacks, you know, I think of John Elway a lot when I think about those late game drives. And for a long time he did. Uh, he didn't get the Super Bowl. It wasn't until his last couple of years when he was able to get one. But he said after he retired, there was so much pressure on him to get one. Well, Mahomes doesn't have that pressure now. He's got one at 24. The only pressure is going to be obviously what he puts on himself, but it would have been really, really nice to see him have to take a drive down the field to score a touchdown and win that game. But we didn't get it because Garoppolo missed it. Credit to the Chiefs for getting an 11-point win. We were talking earlier about the player Chris Jones, and if you use the stat sheet or the box score, there's not a lot there. But he did so many things that you could almost make the argument that he was the MVP of the game for the Chiefs. Is that a stretch, or do you buy into that? Uh, who, Chris Jones? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's any question. I, I and, and In fact, as the game is going on, I'm trying to figure out who the MVP of the game is. And by the end of the third quarter, I can't figure out, even on the 49ers side, and I probably would have gone with Nick Bosa. Um, Bosa was phenomenal. He just he just ripped Eric Fisher up one side and down the other. But I thought Chris Jones was phenomenal. And the fact that we didn't play him either game this year, I was very happy about that. Because watching him on film leading up to the game against the Chiefs the regular season and then into the playoff game, I'm like, 
we better block this guy, and I'm not sure that we can, to be honest. This guy is remarkable. Uh, and I think Chris Jones, absolutely, without question, I think you could have honestly made a case for a number of different guys to be the MVP that weren't Patrick Mahomes. I think you definitely can make a case for Chris Jones and the way that he impacts the game from the interior. I thought Terrell Suggs did a really nice job, especially late rushing the quarterback. Uh, Damian Williams had over 100 yards rushing and had the receiving touchdown that put them in the lead. So I think you could have given the MVP to a number of different guys other than Patrick Mahomes because, in all honesty, Patrick Mahomes was the MVP of the fourth quarter, the most important quarter, obviously. Sure. But for the first three quarters of the game and maybe for the full game on the defensive side, man, Chris Jones was phenomenal. I, I, I mean, I remember seeing him at Mississippi State the, his freshman year and thinking, this guy – that's what our league looks like. This guy's going to be a terror once he gets to our league. And I thought his sophomore, junior years were, were good, but not great. So I thought, well, I don't know, maybe he's plateauing. Maybe And then he got into the league with Kansas City, and it's just been, he's been wrecking shop ever since. And you know, everybody talks about Mahomes getting paid. That guy's about to get paid, too. He's going to get paid a lot of money, whether it's with the Chiefs. I hope it's with somebody in the NFC, because I'd rather not face that guy ever <laughs> again. Um, but he is a really good player, and I actually thought – of all the players in the field last night, if you just came out top five, I think you put Nick Bosa in that category, of course, Mahomes. Uh, Damian Williams was fantastic, but Chris Jones is definitely in that group for sure. John, this was kind of the most basic poll question, and it wasn't like supposed to be a gotcha one today. We kind of opened the show with this. Did the um, did the Chiefs win that game, or did the 49ers lose it? Oh, I think the Chiefs won it. I, I know a lot of people have tried to put this on Kyle Shanahan. In fact, I was uh, just driving a little while ago, and I heard – uh, Tiki Barber do kind of his little sports minute, and he was like, Kyle Shanahan crumbled. I'm like, ah, I don't know about that. I wouldn't say Kyle Shanahan crumbled. Now, I This was way was different than, than the the Patriots-Falcons. Way different. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, I do think that Kyle Shanahan made a mistake at the end of the first half not trying to get yeah. more points up on the board. I do think that. But when it came to execution in the third and fourth quarters, look, there was you – know, Jimmy didn't get a ton of time, but he had, you know, especially in the second and five play, everybody's talking about, oh, there are two receivers wide open, and Jimmy just missed him. He threw it to the wrong guy, and then obviously Chris batted it down. Um, and then the third and five play, he ended up getting heat. So I don't know if I would say the 49ers lost it. The Chiefs, to me, finally got on track with that third and 15, and once they got on track, it's the best offense in the league, to me, without question. I mean, you can bring up some others. When you're talking about Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, and then when Damian Williams was running for over 100 yards and the offensive line finally started protecting Patrick Mahomes, and you're talking about the best offense in the league, bar none. It's the best offense I've seen um, of the years that I've been on the sidelines. I don't know that I've seen many better over the previous years. It definitely was the best I've seen with what they did to us in the playoff game. So I, to me, it was more like the Chiefs got on track in the fourth quarter and then showed why they were that good. I, I think that the Chiefs won that game more than the 49ers lost it. Well, it certainly was impressive. Last thing for you, you've only got a minute left. Patrick Mahomes, best quarterback in the NFL right now? Oh, uh, there's no question he's the most talented. Now, you know I'm biased. You know the guy in my building. Uh, I know. Sean Watson is death. So if I take him out of the if I take him out of the equation and I look at everybody else, there's no there's no question. I mean the way he spins it, the number of throws he can make. I mean, I saw him do things in our game, scrambling, uh, moving up in a pocket, flicking the ball forty yards. To me, he's the most talented passer uh, in, in the game. It, it, to, it used to be Aaron Rodgers, uh, and I still think Aaron Rodgers has got a, still juice left. But what Patrick Mahomes can do, that's on a different level, man. A completely 
and totally different level. And I think his vibe really fits for Kansas City. Uh, they're going to be in this thing for a long time. I hope that we're right there with them. That's going to be a Texas Chiefs thing in the AFC. But it's going to be really tough with all the young quarterbacks that are over there. But right now, Patrick Mahomes is definitely the cream of the crop. There's no question about that. John, you're always generous with your time. I appreciate a few minutes this afternoon. We'll talk again closer to the uh, draft. It's been fun all season long. Thank you, my friend. You got it, Richard. Take care, man. Anytime. That's John Harris. Jay Harris Football on Twitter. Good follow there. Uh, Works with the Houston Texans. Obviously uh, saw the Chiefs leading up to this Super Bowl run and uh, came away pretty impressed last night. Sports Talk Mississippi. Let's uh, let's turn our attention to some college football when we come back. Mississippi State. Is the staff complete? Like, complete, complete? What about K.J. Costello? How's he going to factor in? Is he going to be a Mississippi State Bulldog? Get into that with Hey Dad next. John Harris joined us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. On Super Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi on this Monday afternoon. Richard Cross, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad will east in today for Michael Borky. Thank you for joining us. You can text us on the C Spire text line 601-879-4395. We'll get to winners and losers uh, later. Got tied up, kind of pushed that back a, a little bit. Um, I was going back through the uh, performers list from Super Bowl halftime shows, Haydad. It's all the way back yeah. at Super Bowl twenty. Where you got uh, up with people. Yeah, it's huge. 1986. Bears destroy Patriots. Yeah, there, there, are some, there are some Super Bowl halftime shows that I don't... Okay, there are some where the performers are no longer with us, and so obviously they won't be repeating, but there's some that I just don't really see happening again. Like, uh, I don't see us... Say again? Up with people is one of those. That is That is true. I don't know that we're going to see Clint Black, Tanya Tucker, Travis Tritt, and the Judds at halftime again. But we should. That was uh, that was Super Bowl twenty eight, nineteen ninety four, in the Georgia Dome. Clint Black sang "Tuckered Out." Tanya Tucker sang "It's a Little Too Late." Travis Tritt came with T R O U B L E. Winona Judd sang No One Else on Earth, and then the Judds, joined by other artists, sang Love Can Build a Bridge. Let's go. You'd be all about that? I mean, I would, I would, at least it's songs I recognize. Hey, I don't remember this one, but it sounds like it was a whole lot of fun. 1997, Super Bowl 31. Blues Brothers Bash at halftime. They had the Blues yeah. Brothers with Dan Aykroyd, John Goodman, James Belushi, plus ZZ Top, James Brown, and Catherine Cryer. I remember that. Was it good? I mean, I, I don't remember that. I just remember that happening. Okay. 
Hey, look, if you want a bad one, look at 2000. Tapestry of Nations with Phil Collins, Christina Aguilera, Enrique Iglesias, Tony Braxton, and Edward James Olmos. He's the narrator. Just give, a, <laughs> just give a spoken word performance. Yeah, it's. Uh, it was. Not, I remember that one. It was horrific. It was like, what are these people doing? It's a good thing Twitter didn't exist in 2000. Yeah. Good, good thing. <laughs> All right, hey Dad, take me to Starkville and uh, give me some football news. Coaching staff, is it done? Like done, done, done. It appears to be done, done, and done. And that's uh, with Jason Washington joining the staff coming from Texas, where he was a cornerbacks coach and uh, recruiting coordinator for the Longhorns. Uh, interesting in that State already thought we thought State had a cornerbacks coach on staff in Darcel McBath. He is on staff, not officially, but he is on staff. And so I'm not sure where they're putting everybody. I'm not sure what the, what the lineup is going to be. Uh, but I do know that State has 10 on-the-field assistant coaches on staff. Defensive coordinator will be Zach Arnett from San Diego. State. No, no, that's right, that's right. No, we did that last week via a, a short layover at yeah. Syracuse. That's right, that's right. San Diego State to Syracuse. I just completely yeah. lost that. Um, it's okay. And then on the KJ Costello front, appears the worm has turned back towards Mississippi State. Uh, all indications from everybody I've talked to expect him to be a Mississippi State Bulldog and make that announcement uh, via Twitter. Uh, it could literally happen at any moment. Like today was could, when it was expected, right? It was expected today, but you know, man works on his own time clock. He's on the West Coast. He's waiting for prime time. You know, best best viewing hours. Yeah, maybe. Very savvy social media presence does. Or maybe he had class. Should he have class? He's a grad transfer. He doesn't graduate until May, though, does he? Or I don't maybe know. even June because it's Stanford and the West Coast quarter system deal. Good point. I don't know the answer to that. Because KJ Costello will not be here for the spring, right? I mean, spring that is correct. I know he won't be here for the spring, but you know, three weeks. I thought that just might have to do with the the lateness of his decision more than anything else. Oh, I don't know. I mean, you would know better than I. Well, then we're in trouble. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, Okay, we we've gone down this road before. You don't bring a grad transfer in, generally speaking, to air quotes, compete for the job, regardless of what you say publicly. Yeah. Uh, if K.J. Costello comes in, is it to be the starter? Yes. K.J. Costello okay. will be Mississippi State starting quarterback. I mean, what, could there be a competition? Could Garrett Schrader just come out and completely impress Mike Leach and then in the in the fall camp when we, we get around to that and, and Costello's just not what you thought he was going to be and Schrader just like, could it happen? Sure, it could happen. But would I put money on that? Absolutely not. KJ Costello will, will in all likelihood, take the first snap of the Mike Leach era. And didn't you see that uh, Leach Beach is uh, being installed? It's been a busy weekend up here in Starville. They got something. Had some recruiting news. We had coaching cut staff coming together. Just a lot going on up here. Anything else in terms of recruiting news that we need to be looking at? Nothing for the 2020 class. Uh, although it looks like they'll, they'll probably close out with th- uh, three or four more players. Notably among them, in-state Khalil Benson, an an offensive lineman for South Haven. And the long-awaited offer for Rufus Harvey finally made its way to him. Uh, He visited campus this weekend. Says he has a decision to make, but if his decision is between Arkansas State and Mississippi State, it feels like that's less of a decision. Um, And then looking ahead to 2021, State got two commitments. uh, One, a quarterback uh, out of uh, 
Argyle, Texas. I don't know where in Texas that is. Uh, but Daniel Greek is his name, a three-star quarterback out of Liberty Christian High School. Uh, big, six foot four and two hundred thirty pounds. Pro stop. It's a new era for Mississippi State in terms of quarterbacks. You're going to see, start seeing guys who look like pro style passers. And then we had the first uh, sort of opening shot in the uh, the Leach Kiffin rivalry. Mississippi State flips. Uh, oh, what's that kid's last first name? Dang it. Uh, Brandon, yeah, Brandon Buckhalter, wide receiver out of Hartfield Academy down there in the Jackson area, three-star player, ranked as the number eight player in the state by twenty-four-seven. Uh, he flipped his commitment from Ole Miss to Mississippi State this weekend. Anything info-wise that goes along with that? Was it a, a function of actually being he able to play this, wide receiver, or I, I got to think that's it, right? I got to think the idea that he can look at State's depth chart and say. Great chance to play early and great chance to catch 50, 60, 70 passes if I'm doing that. Yeah. I want to say that I read somewhere, and I don't know that, uh, please, this, this is not a, you pick one or the other or Flipmas or whatever. I, I want to <laughs> say that I read somewhere that there had been some discussion as to whether or not he would be on the defensive side or would be a receiver at Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. And the assurance that he would be a receiver at Mississippi State was there, and maybe that's oh, yeah. part of what led to it. Could possibly be because you know, six foot three hundred and ninety five pounds. I mean, he he fits the bill of what state's looking for. Again, there are in the in the top ten for Mississippi this year on twenty four seven. Five of them are receivers, and both state and Ole Miss would like to get as many of those guys as you can. One of them's already committed to uh, LSU, Deion Smith from there in Jackson at, at Provine, who was committed to Mississippi State. He flipped to LSU. Uh, state needs those guys. Ole Miss needs those guys. So that's going to be you know that's the real battleground for this state this year is to who gets those guys to, to come on campus because both teams need an injection of talent at the receiver position. C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Question for you, how will Garrett Schrader impress Mike Leach? But just being accurate in practice. You know, the, the offense in and of itself is very simple, but you got to make those throws. And so if he can sh- come out and show that he can be a 65, 70% passer, and that's what Leach is going to be looking for. You know, I remember a couple of years ago when we were talking to Moorhead and he threw out 65%, and my eyes about bugged out of my head when he said that. But with Leach, that's what you got to expect just because of the nature of his offense. They, they, you, it's all about being accurate with the football. So if, if Schrader can show he can do that, and, of course, Schrader adds that running dimension that Costello does not have, if Leach thinks he can work with that, then there's an opportunity there for him. But for the most part, I, th- I think it's just going to be – I really do think Mississippi State wants to – if they can redshirt Garrett Schrader this year, if he's up for that, and I, because it, they just need to get some stability there, they've had they haven't been able to redshirt him. They weren't able to redshirt Keaton Thompson. They were able to get Maiden in there, but it's just right now you're looking at going into next season with you know it's just it's just there's just a lot of flux there. So if they can redshirt him, they would like to, I think. Ceasefire text line. So Napier isn't coming. I, I my sources, which were. Really good sources, Brett McMurphy and Ross Dellinger, all out them here on the air. Both tweeted that it's not going to happen. Yes, it seems, uh, seems reasonable to uh, believe that at this point. Uh, Paul and Starkville, I don't know what your interactions were with him like. Paul and Starkville says, Chris Jones is a great friend of mine from Houston, Mississippi. Super great guy. Uh, defensive MVP of the Super Bowl, at least that was in his mind. Yeah, we, we talked earlier yeah. about... An argument to be made that he was the MVP. Period. Obviously, Pat Mahomes is the one that uh, got that. And when did they stop giving a Corvette to the Super Bowl MVP? I don't know. 
I had one interaction with Chris Jones. It was on his pro day after he had the uh, incident at the at the combine, and uh, uh-huh. couldn't have been nicer. Was really excited about his uh, upcoming endorsement for some uh, underwear company there. Gave me a big hug and said, "I love you guys." So I'm a Chris hey, Jones yeah. fan. Wait, you only had one interaction with him the entire time. I didn't. Mississippi I didn't State, do a lot of player interview. Yeah. There you go. I'm a likable guy. Unlike Rippy. Positive interaction. <laughs> Worst right, boss, Mississippi. We will be right back. Mississippi, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Five o'clock hour Monday after the Super Bowl. Glad to have you along, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Will. East, no, nope, that's not right. Richard Cross, Will East, and Brian Scott Rippey for the final hour this afternoon. Hey, Dad has split. Mississippi State's got a women's basketball game tonight at Humphrey Coliseum. They are playing Georgia. Mississippi State, 7-1 and one in the SEC. That only loss is the close loss a couple of weeks ago on a Monday night to South Carolina. They are 19-3 and three overall. Georgia, 12-9 and nine on the season, 3-5 and five in conference play. So that's coming up at... Uh, 6 o'clock Central on the SEC Network if you want to watch it in uh, women's hoops action tonight. It is time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers who remind you that it is truck month. Great savings, but more than just savings, you're getting great trucks. Whether it's F-Series, including the F-150, which has been the best-selling truck in America for 43 consecutive years, or you can jump into a Super Duty. That's that big F-250 or the F-350 that you like so much, or the uh, Ford Ranger, who made a comeback a couple of years ago and is a fantastic-looking truck as well. You can test drive all of those at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Um this news only relevant locally because at one point Chase Bryce's name came up as a potential graduate transfer at Mississippi State. He canceled the uh, visit to visit Mississippi State a week or so ago and has landed at Duke. So the former Clemson backup, uh, Chase Bryce, is now headed to Duke. He uh, sat behind Trevor Lawrence for the last two years, made his official announcement on Sunday, is enrolling at Duke in July after he graduates from Clemson with two years of eligibility remaining. The fit or the move seems to fit both sides as Bryce is a former four-star recruit out of the class of 2017. He will have a chance to start and play for David Cutcliffe, and Duke had a hole to fill after the graduation of Quentin Harris at the quarterback spot. Um, only one quarterback on the Blue Devils roster at this point has thrown a pass that's on the roster right now. So over the past two seasons, Chase Bryce uh, has thrown for a little over 1,000 yards with nine touchdowns and four interceptions. Uh, you may remember him from coming in and helping Clemson ra- to rally 
and win against Syracuse in 2018 after Trevor Lawrence went down with an injury. So largely unproven, has played some over the last couple of years, but he will be the quarterback for Duke going forward. Uh, Rippy, I'm sorry, did I interrupt? No, I was just pointing out you also just had the Costello to State News go official. It is now Twitter official, is that right? That is correct. There you go. From uh, KJ underscore Costello on Twitter, thank you, Stanford. Dreams do become reality. Excited for what is next. Hashtag Hail State. His note to Stanford says, Dear Stanford family, I remember dreaming about playing at Stanford since I was a little kid. The legacy and the tradition was something I always knew I wanted to be a part of. I feel so fortunate to have spent my last four years at the top institution in the world. I decided to attend Stanford because I felt it would drive me to become the best version of myself. It did just that. To my professors and support staff, thank you for pushing me to transition into the man I've become, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I would like to announce that I will be playing my final year of college football at Mississippi State, hashtag Hail State. And you heard Haydad say earlier that um, there's no doubt in his mind that uh, K.J. Costello will be the starter at uh, at Mississippi State in the fall. Obviously, you got spring football uh, still to come, and then you got to you know get to the start of the year and compete for it and all that good stuff. But the expectation is that KJ Costello transferring in, uh, who will have one year of eligibility, will be the starter for Mississippi State next year. So there you go. The poll question today was: Did the Chiefs win Super Bowl Fifty Four or did the Forty ers lose it? Eighty three percent of you, nearly three hundred votes have said the Chiefs won it. And I agree. Um, had one comment said the Chiefs did what they did all through the playoffs. They found their fire and used their speed to beat a slower and by that point tired defense. 49ers did not quit in the game. They got beat. I agree with that. Bill Bender uh, at Sporting News, who's a regular guest on the show and uh, always has some thoughtful pieces, put a piece out uh I guess it was at the end of last week. We just didn't have a chance to get to it. Seven best bets to make the college football playoff for the first time in 2020. Obviously, LSU made good on its first college football playoff appearance this season. They steamrolled through Oklahoma and Clemson for their first national championship of the college football playoff era. So, who are the teams that have got the best shot to get to the college football playoff for the very first time? He lists seven of them. Number one on the list is Penn State. They've won the big championship, uh, did so as recently as 2016, but saw Ohio State get in anyway. They have been the closest competition to the three-time defending Big Ten champions, the Buckeyes, and James Franklin has a talented roster next season, including the return of starting quarterback Sean Clifford and the nation's best defensive player in Micah Parsons. They've got a road trip on October 3rd to Michigan, where James Franklin has not won, and they'll have the whiteout game against Ohio State on October 24th, and those two games will likely be the two games that determine whether or not Penn State can take the next step. All right, here are the other teams. Now, Rippy, I'll let you weigh in, see what you think about these. Florida, Auburn, Texas, Oklahoma State, Michigan, Texas A&M. Do any of those names surprise you? Maybe Texas. I know Oklahoma State's supposed to have a really good team next year. And then Auburn and Florida, last, I mean, Auburn for a while, but Florida with Mullen feels like they're kind of knocking on the door there. So 
No, I don't think. Like if if you would have if you would have made me guess seven, I probably would have gone with most all of those except for Texas. I don't really buy that necessarily, but outside of that, yeah, that makes sense. Here's what he's saying about Texas. Sam Ellinger returns around a roster that Tom Herman has built through recruiting. Eight of Texas's losses are by eight points or fewer in the past two seasons. They're not that far off in the Big Twelve that has seen Oklahoma run opposed for far too long. They get to run back the games against LSU and Oklahoma in the first six weeks of 2020. All it takes is a split of those two games to stay in the hunt. So you remember LSU in Week 2 went to Austin this past year. Texas will return the favor. They'll be in Baton Rouge on a Saturday in September and then still first half of the year when they uh, they meet Oklahoma in the Red River shootout, showdown, rivalry, whatever it's called now. You just don't see them being able to navigate the entire schedule with only one loss? I mean, that's tough with Oklahoma and LSU on it. But, I mean, he makes a, he outlines a pretty good point there. I guess it wouldn't stun me. Here's what Bill wrote about Oklahoma State. They are going to be the chic sleeper team next season based on the return of the FBS leading rusher in Chuba Hubbard and receiver Tylen Wallace. Quarterback Spencer Sanders can work with that, and now it's on Mike Gundy to get this team back to double-digit wins after compiling a 15-11 and record over the last two years. He says there's no reason that Oklahoma State can't be 6-0 and when it travels to an earlier edition this year of Bedlam. They will play Oklahoma in Norman on October 24th, so it won't necessarily be 7 degrees and sleeting when those two teams play each other. Oklahoma State will now play Texas in its finale this year, and then we'll see if they can get to the uh, Big 12 championship game. How about this? Michigan. Stock is low after double-barrel losses to Ohio State and Alabama to end the 2019 season. Jim Harbaugh enters year six, still looking to break through to the Big Ten championship, and that might hinge on which quarterback wins the starting job, Dylan McCaffrey or Joe Milton. Is Milton the transfer from – was he at UCF? That was that a different Milton? That was McKenzie Milton who got hurt. That was McKenzie Milton. Sorry. The roster is still talented enough to make a run in the Big Ten East. Get a feel for whether that's possible after the opener against Washington. That's a road game. Three-game stretch against Wisconsin, Penn State, and Michigan State is rough. But ultimately everything will revolve around the trip to Ohio State and on November 28th where the Wolverines have not won since the year 2000 when Drew Henson was playing quarterback. Good grief. 20 years since Michigan has won at Ohio Stadium. 20 years. It's been a pretty one-sided rivalry for a while now. Texas A&M made that list for Bill Bender. He says A&M 17-9 in Jimbo Fisher's first two seasons. Seven of those losses were to top ten teams. Improved recruiting, Kellen Mond returning at quarterback, a friendly non-conference schedule, Abilene Christian, North Texas, Colorado, and Fresno State, and their SEC East crossover games this year are South Carolina and Vanderbilt. A little bit different schedule than uh, Texas A&M played this year where they had to go to Clemson as one of their non-conference games. Says ultimately it comes down to the SEC West meat grinder against Auburn, LSU, and Alabama. Jimbo Fisher is one in five against those teams since arriving in College Station. 
Sports Talk Mississippi. That's your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. We'll do winners and losers next. Sports Talk Mississippi, on your radio and in the game. Sports Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Normally we do this just after 4 o'clock, but we pushed it back a little bit. Today it is time for winners and losers. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. You can send us your winners and losers to the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Uh, let's start with Reggie Perry, who was named Co-SEC Player of the Week. It is the second time that he has garnered that award this year. For Reggie Perry, uh, pretty good this week. 6'10", 250-pound sophomore from Thomasville, Georgia, Averaged 25.5 points and 10 rebounds in wins at Florida and against Tennessee. Poured in a career-high 27 points at Florida, aided by 3-for-3 on three-point shots. He shared the award with Mason Jones from Arkansas, who averaged 32 points, 8.5 boards, 2.5 assists, 1.5 steal against South Carolina and Alabama. So um, good week for both of those guys. Anthony Edwards was named SEC Freshman of the Week, had uh, pretty good games against Missouri and Texas A&M as uh, Georgia split those games, went one and one on the week. So Reggie Perry, uh, at the top of my winner's list, he has just been outstanding. And you heard Richard Williams say it uh, on Friday of last week, and I don't disagree. Reggie Perry's in the conversation for SEC Player of the Year. I mean, Nick Richards is there at uh, at Kentucky. Not a hundred percent sure who else you would put on that list. If not for the injury, you could very well have Aaron Neesmith at Vanderbilt on the in the conversation. But he's out and done and not making a return. And you don't win that award when you play in I don't know twelve games for the year. So uh, Reggie Perry on the winners list. Rippy, give me a winner. Well, we already covered this, but I was going to go Chris Jones on that. But was a beast for pretty much all four quarters and played a. I mean. Bosa had a pretty good stretch serve in the second and third quarter on the other side, but Jones had a huge impact as well and you know, made some big stops as well. Like I guess the entire Chiefs defensive line, as much as San Francisco had success running the ball, it seemed like when they really needed a big run on like six, seven yards to kind of keep things moving, they were able to get enough stops. So I'll go Chris Jones and the Chiefs defensive line. East, you got a winner? Yeah, I'm second that Chris Jones. Uh, when they mentioned Houston, Mississippi, man, it was all high fives around my house. You like that? You got another winner? Uh, you know, I'm gonna say Troy Aikman and Joe Buck. They did a really good job. They didn't really screw it up. Uh, a lot of people root against those two guys. I find them very entertaining for some reason. So I thought, man, you know, nobody's talked about them. 
Okay. How about this text-in winner? World-class athletic services in Leland, Mississippi, for the Super Bowl field looking so good, all paint and stencils were ours. So a little FYI there. Congratulations. The field looked fantastic. Oh. That is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I think the PGA Tour is a winner. Not because Webb Simpson beat Tony Finau in a playoff, but I think the atmosphere at the Waste Management Open is good for the PGA Tour. It's good for golf. You probably don't want that week in, week out, although, I don't know, maybe you do want that kind of atmosphere. But the way that Scottsdale and the Phoenix area has embraced that tournament and turned it into a great big party where it is the most highly attended golf tournament on the planet, both single day and cumulatively each year. And it's just such a cool scene for television. I watched a little bit of that yesterday afternoon, and it almost got monotonous hearing the uh, the announcers talk about just how electric that environment is. Are, are you of the opinion, Rippy, that probably don't want that every week, but it sure is cool every now and then? Uh, I mean, if they had it every week, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it at all. I think it's fun and cool. But, yeah, I guess it just in terms of traditional golf norms, probably doesn't have the same luster if it there's a stop on tour each week that has something like that. But, yeah, I mean, it's cool. I would like to go. Yeah, I don't want to see that at Augusta. I guess I'm, I mean, I wouldn't mind that either. I think that, I mean, can you imagine that type of scene and Tiger won a major championship? Uh, sign me up, please. Yeah, no, I, I would be okay with it at the PGA. Or, I don't know, I mean, maybe even at the U.S. Open. But I kind of want to see a little bit different deal at Augusta. Can't imagine seeing that at the Open Championship. That uh, <laughs> I don't think it would fly there. Uh, here's another winner on the ceasefire text line. Mississippi State for landing a proven quarterback in K.J. Costello. Brian says, loser, NFL, for allowing that halftime show. There are a lot of people that didn't like the halftime. They thought it was over the top. They thought it was gratuitous. They thought it was um, overly sexualized. And then there were a lot of people that looked at it and go, yeah, it's a cool performance. It is what... You kind of know that's what you're getting, though, now with the Super Bowl halftime show, right? Yeah, that's kind of my thing. It's like, what? Like, don't watch. I mean, I didn't even. I wasn't even paying that close attention. I was like, somewhat eating, somewhat cleaning up. Like it was on, but like I I didn't even. I I didn't see what was so bad about it. But I guess if I I don't have kids that are young watching it and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the thing. Is if you've got little ones watching and they are really locked in, you're not necessarily sure that's exactly what you want them to see. Um, Loser on the list, I I think this qualifies. Chase Parham reported this uh, earlier this morning. Chase at uh, RivalsRebelGrove.com. Rebels baseball left-hander Doug Nikhazy was arrested early this morning and charged with DUI. Mike Bianco, in a statement to Rebel Grove, quote, we are aware of the situation and we will handle it appropriately and internally, close quote. Um, it's not ideal news for the uh, for the Ole Miss baseball team. You, you don't know what the punishment will be, if it will include a suspension, uh, whether or not it will be an opening weekend suspension, or whether it's something where they will just handle the punishment internally and, uh, and move on from there. Obviously, poor decision-making 
on the uh, on the part of Doug Nikhazy there. I just it's just hard to come up with a reason or an excuse for that, given the plethora of travel options that are available to you at uh, at this point. You hate to see that. Yeah, definitely an odd idea. Definitely, it will be interesting to see what uh, how that affects obviously opening weekend and maybe beyond that. Not really sure. Uh, a little bit of precedent for it. Uh, Drew Pomerantz, I think it happened in '09. Is that right? Yeah, and he missed the opening weekend. I think you had that happen with Mark Wright, and he missed the opening weekend. Um, seems like maybe there was an issue more recently. Is there somebody else I'm not thinking about? Andy Pagnazzi, and I, I think he pitched out of the bullpen a day or two later. I, I could, I don't want to. I'm not a hundred percent positive. I'd have to go back and look. Okay. Um, so we'll see how that's handled. Uh, Mike Bianco says we will handle it appropriately and internally. So probably the last thing you will hear uh, in terms of anything official from uh, Ole Miss on that front. You got a loser, Rippy? I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo, for as good as he was for about two and a half quarters of that game, all in total, not the first two and a half. The the end was kind of rough. You could tell the play calling was in a way that which they didn't uh, necessarily trust him. And I guess this would take me back to the whole Niners offense play calling thing in general. To where like after let's see, you had the interception and you had five plays and a punt, and it was a productive run. Now I've gotten it down, all down, but it made sense in my head. Okay. Hold on. Well, you continue to gather that. I'll give you a couple of other winners and I, losers from the so C-Spire text so, line. You so, got it? Yeah, it's 20-10, to 10 and you had the interception, and you have the chances for the kill shot. You run most or once for six yards, and then it's pass, false start, pass, where Garoppolo runs out of bounds. Chiefs score a touchdown. You run it once to most or for a yard, and then go pass, 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 and punt immediately. Hmm. And given I, the fact that they had had success running the football, you felt like they might stick with it more, right? Yeah, just but it, like even the passing, it was just kind of short stuff in the flats, and like Garoppolo didn't look great. And then even when they got down twenty-four to twenty, Mustard had a, I think seventeen yards up to their thirty-two on the first run, and they didn't call another pass on the entire drive. They turned it over on downs. You had two and a half minutes. Like I, I like seems like plenty of time to run. He had a couple timeouts. I think he might have had all three. David Monticello said losers the Super Bowl commercials were lame this year. Greg in Columbus says winner Clark Hunt for wearing flesh-colored earplugs. I guess winner also Clark Hunt. I mean, having a head of hair like that that does not move, like not one ounce of movement in that head of hair. Uh, Winner of the state of Kansas, they got a football team apparently last night. Stay in Calhoun County echoes our sentiments from earlier. He says, my winner, Chris Jones of Houston, Mississippi, Super Bowl champion, defensive player of the game in the Super Bowl, in my opinion, soon to be the highest paid player in the history of Mississippi sports. All right. Appreciate all of you sending us your winners and losers. We will talk with Bruce Marshall. Get the reaction from Vegas to last night's Super Bowl. Maybe a little historical context as well. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. On Super Talk Mississippi.
Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along on the Monday after the Super Bowl. And glad to welcome Bruce Marshall to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. If you've listened to the show for an extended period of time, you know that throughout the football season for the last several years, Bruce has joined us on Friday. We've previewed uh, primarily college games and taking a look at the NFL as well. Bruce, uh, I love visiting with you, not just because of the, the handicapping side of things, but uh, because you're such a historian when it comes to sports. What did you make of Super Bowl 54 last night? Yeah, I mean, it, it was close to being a, a really good game. I mean, in the end, it was pretty uh, enthralling for Chiefs backers, but I always try to slot this in. Where does it fit in, in Super Bowls? And I've got it probably in the low 20s there. We we didn't really have a, a thrilling finish, although it got, I mean, things changed in the last six minutes of the game. But I think in the end, the Niners are going to feel – uh, kind of like they kicked that thing away and uh, just didn't execute, and you can't give the ball back to Mahomes that much. It felt, in that regard, I mean, a little bit like the Atlanta-New England game, not quite as dramatic as that of collapse. Uh, a little bit like Seattle and New England uh, a few years ago as well. And then the, the uh, Seahawks had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter and let Brady come back, and then that sequence at the end was a little bit different. But, uh, you know, good, not a great Super Bowl. I thought it took a while for the game to warm up. And, uh, you know, hey, having those guys stand on the field for 15 minutes before the game, I don't think it helped things too much because a little bit uh, uh, it didn't get off to a quick start like uh, some of us were hoping. We were talking earlier. If on the play, the, the deep post route where Garoppolo lets it fly and his receiver has got a couple of steps on the DBs, if if you connect on that and you get the touchdown, then it sets up for potentially being one of the great all time Super Bowls because now you got Pat Mahomes with the ball, ninety seconds to play, down a field goal. Let's see what happens. Oh yeah, I mean that was the play there, and he was and it was Sanders, right? I mean he was he was there, and Jimmy G puts it in there. That's that's six because he had everybody beat, but um, he went about four or five yards too far on that throw. But you're right, it would have set it up. Also, you know, on the Damian Williams touchdown right at the flag, they had to review it. And I think it was the proper call, let the call stand like that. But if he had fallen a couple of inches short, it would have put up uh, an all-time decision for Andy Reid there. If it's 20-17, to 17, you got fourth and a foot. Uh, tie, kick a tie to kick a field yeah. goal to tie or try for the touchdown and go ahead. That would have been quite a decision for him to make. I do think at the end, though, that uh, the uh, uh, Niner defense got a little tired late and you just can't like i mentioned can't keep giving Mahomes the ball back and i think kyle shanahan will be kicking himself for some of the play call sequencing he did in the fourth quarter when they had the lead and uh you know he kind of went away from the uh, bread and butter there a little bit much with uh uh you know the running game and having garoppolo try to do things maybe at times he shouldn't have so at the Niners can feel pretty mad at themselves, though. I know they're mad at a couple of the refs calls in the games, but I don't think that made any difference late. It was their own lack of execution. And give the Chiefs defense credit. My goodness, they stepped up big in the fourth quarter and they had to make plays. They made them. Bruce Marshall from the Gold Sheet on your radio. You can check him out at goldsheet.com. Also, Bruce A. Marshall on Twitter. How did uh, how the sports books in Vegas do? Uh, this was a, a game where the line was at one and a half, and it really stayed there for for basically two solid weeks. I, I don't know if you saw any movement that I missed along the way. So so how did they come out? I think they came out okay. I think they, I know they needed the under, um, and they needed the under and most of the props too, because that's how 
the props usually go. There's a lot of overbetting in the props. So I, I think they ended up okay with that. And you're right there, Rich. I mean, it was pretty much two-way action. Uh, both teams getting a lot of play uh, at that spread, which really didn't move much at all between one, one and a half. And that was pretty much it. One or two houses went to two for a very short period of time, and that got bit bought back. Uh, the total moved kind of quick from 51 and a half, 54, 54 and a half. It, it touched 55 just a couple of spots at a, for brief flashes at a couple of books, and then went back down and then end up right around 54. So a lot of us thought this game would get bet, the total get bet up to 55, maybe a little higher, but it turns out the move on the total was early. There's so much volume in the Super Bowl, too, and I think a lot of people are also betting. I mean, these props, that's the thing, and I'm not, and I'm not sure how it was in the books uh, in your state there, but uh, and, and I bet it was pretty similar, though, to what's going on in Las Vegas because uh, these proposition bets now make up Actually, a greater percentage of the handle on Super Bowl Sunday than reg- just the regular traditional bets. So that's I, I was going to ask you that. every year at the props. Yeah, because people seem to have fun with that. And yep. my guess is the majority of those are not necessarily serious gamblers, although maybe some of them are. I, I don't know. Maybe there are people that see value in, in some of those. So, so it's 50-50 or maybe even a, a little bit more on the side of prop bets versus action on the, the game itself in terms of – uh, you know, total and and one side or the other. Yeah, Rich, it is, and I, and I bet that they're thinking uh, that we'll get the final numbers later this week. But I know the guys over at the South Point. I'm down there a lot with Beeson with the Brent. Uh, they were thinking they they were saying we're running a little bit ahead with props, and it was pretty much split the last two years props to side bets. But they were thinking because each of these properties adds more, and some properties added more prop bets than others. Uh, the Westgate, for example, I mean they had like 500 different props they keep adding to it every year but i bet the westgate had more prop action and you're right i mean people do have fun with it some people have a little bit too much fun with it i mean i knew people betting 30 35 props yesterday and these are guys in a normal weekend during the regular season might bet seven to nine games maybe and they're going nuts on these props in the super bowl so it is fun but some people man it's easy to get carried away with some of those props that's for sure all right, my guess is if you do them, you only do it to have a little bit of fun. So did, did you pick some prop bets? Do you do coin flip? Do you do over-under on the national anthem? No, I don't do any. <laughs> You'd be surprised. I didn't do any. I didn't, I didn't make any prop bets yesterday. I didn't make any bets at all in the game. I just sat back and enjoyed it. We kind of needed the 49ers to win anyway, so I, I just stood clear. Uh, I would have. I recommended some props. We had Damian Williams under 29.5 receiving yards. We won that by half a yard. Uh, but we also, I thought they'd use Matt Breida a little bit more, and I know that he had fallen out of favor a little bit at the end and only got one carry in the Green Bay game, but, I mean, he was a very integral part of this offense all year, and he, his total carries were three and a half, and uh, I mean, he had exceeded that in every other game this year prior to the Green Bay NFC title game and every other game last year, so that's 27 straight games he got more carries than that. And uh, so I thought they'd use him a little bit yesterday. We didn't see him at all, and... Uh, you know, this is a guy who was really, for much of the year, their feature running back. So uh, I don't know what the deal was. I guess the fumble thing late in the season. But I would have bet that, and I did recommend it in some spots. Uh, Brita over. Didn't get there. Didn't get one carry at all. Bruce, I know you're a, uh, a student of the history of the NFL and of the Super Bowl in particular. You've written extensively about it. So you said this one falls in somewhere in the 20s range. Um, what's the best Super Bowl ever for you? Uh, well, I, I write I rate these things. I'll have it up again at goldsheet.com later today, uh, tonight, um, 
all the way one to fifty three. In fact, the only one I've been to in person was the first one. I was in third the first grade, one, and that's the yeah, only one at I've Rice, seen. right? Uh, yeah, it's it's funny that I'm actually at the first one. Uh, by the way, I saw Jerry Eisenberg yesterday from the New York Star Ledger, who had been to every Super Bowl until like the last two years, and he lives he's retired living in Vegas now, so he was watching the game with us yesterday. Yeah, New England, Carolina, and that was let me get my Roman numerals right, thirty seven. That was the game in Houston in January of 04, maybe it was February of 04. But anyway, after the 2003 season, 32-29 New England, that thing went back and forth like the uh, Larry Holmes-Ken Norton heavyweight title fight in the uh, fourth quarter of that game, back and forth, back and forth, and Vinatieri won it in the last second. Uh, there have been most, there have been a lot of good ones in recent years. I got the Philly-New uh, England game from two years ago, number three. Baltimore-San Francisco was two. Giants-New England is in there. Um, and uh, Pittsburgh-Arizona was a great one. So in the last 15 or so years, we've had, I think, some of the best Super Bowls. With that New England-Carolina game, to me, that's still the best one uh, I've seen. That stays on top of my Super Bowl ratings for another year. All right, last thing. Is there anything, do you, do you think there's a reason as to why recent Super Bowls because it's not recency bias with you. I know you've gone far enough back and have seen it all of them. So why is it that the best games have been in the last decade and a half? Good question, Rich. Uh, I, I mean, the matchups always seem like they should be good, and uh, and we, we and we see this a lot in championship games. Uh, I mean, going back, they end up turning into lopsided affairs. They've been some of the biggest beatings in pro football history have been in these championship games. I mean, college, I mean, look, LSU-Clemson turned into kind of a one-sided game. That was Clemson-Alabama last year, so that seems sort of endemic to championship games. But the matchups always promise more. One interesting note, though, I mean, because and we hardly saw that. You mentioned the point spread earlier being really close to pick them here, and that's sort of a function now of recent Super Bowls. Back in the 90s, Rich, when these things were blowouts every year, you remember these two, the Niners-Chargers Super Bowl game down in Miami, uh, ended up with a point spread of 18-and-a-half. That was the biggest spread that entire season of, of 94. And it was solely because so many Super Bowls have been blown out, blowouts for the decade prior to that. That's sort of the outlier. I don't think we're going to get back to that. At least I hope we don't anytime future. You know, the matchups are finally doing what they should, and they're delivering, and, and uh, you know, another even-looking one this year with the point spread reflecting as much. So football season now in the rearview mirror except for the XFL, but that doesn't mean they are done at the gold sheet. You can always uh, catch Bruce on Twitter at Bruce A. Marshall. You can follow his college basketball work, hockey, handicapping, some NBA stuff, whatever it is you're looking for, you can get it at Gold Sheet. Bruce, you know how much I enjoy these conversations and look forward to doing it again next year for football season. All right. I enjoy it too, Rich. Thanks, and uh, nice talking to you again. That is Bruce Marshall from the Gold Sheet and goldsheet.com joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. We will wrap things up at the Pearl River Resort pick of the day for you when we come back. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.